Welcome to Torah Mecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Danielle Bloom, and today we'll be studying Parsha's Mishpatim. I would like to place our Parsha in the context of the Chumash as a whole, give a brief overview, and then focus in on one specific mitzvah. Our Sefer, Sefer Shemos, has three primary topics. In the first 17 Prakim, Alv 3 at Zion, the Chumash is dealing with the story of our slavery and redemption. In the middle, Yorches Ruchav Dalet, we are describing our Sinai experience and the receiving of the Torah. And then in the final section of the Chumash, Prakim Chav through Mem, the Chumash is absorbed with the building of the Mishkan and has the story of the Chet HaEgel, the golden calf, sandwiched in the middle. This is the book that tells all of its events from the perspective of our national bond with Hashem, how we form that national relationship with God, how we break that covenant with the story of the Egel, and finally repair it with the construction of the Mishkan. Which means that this parsha, Mishpatim, along with last week's parsha, Yisro, form the second major section of the book. Beyond that, this parsha contains in its first two prakim, Kaf Aleph and Kaf Beis. Those two prakim comprise the civil law of the nation, beginning with Evet Ivri and including many other laws, Bain Adam Lachavero, between man and his fellow man. Parak Kaf Gimel, the focus turns toward Shemitah, Shabbos, and Shalosh Regalim and concludes in Parakhav Dalad with the bris of Nasa Benishmat Harsinai and the ascent of Moshe to get the Luchos. La- Let's read a quote from Dr. Aviva Zornberg. Last week, it was the heart of the matter, about the encounter, something that happened at Harsinai which did not consist of words. Words were not the point. There was a giloy, an experience happened. In the course of that experience, words were spoken. The content of those words is a separate matter entirely. When we say that we were all at Sinai, it is that which we are referring to. In our racial memory somewhere, we remember it. The words you can read forever afterward. This week, the content is the point. Or in Rabbi Sachs' words, the Parsha of Mishpatim with its detailed rules and regulations can sometimes seem an anticlimax after the breathtaking grandeur of the revelation at Sinai. It should not be. Parsha's Yisro contains the vision, but God is in the details. Without the vision, law is blind. But without the details, the vision floats in heaven. With them, the divine presence is brought down to earth, where we need it most. What we're saying is that the two partials that comprise the Sinai experience hold two separate ideas. In Yisro, we have the awe, the fire, the brimstone, the voice of God coming down from heaven. But then Parshas Rishpatim takes us through the details of what it means to live life as a Jew. How do we conduct ourselves during the humdrum? of everyday life. The connection between the parshios can be summed up beautifully by Rashi's opening comment. Rashi states, Just as last week's parsha is part of the giving of the Torah, so is this week's. We should never be confused and think, oh, keeping the Torah is only those Yisro moments. It's not. Just as that was at Sinai, so is this. These details, the way we behave and interact in sometimes very stressful circumstances, that too is dictated by God. Rashi continues to explain that Moshe was obligated to teach the people, not just a few times or superficially, but he needed to include ta'ame hadavar uperusho, the reasons for what they were doing. God wanted Moshe to explain it so well and so clearly that the people would feel as if the table was set in front of them. What an incredible idea that every single Jew is expected to understand basic civil law. No one can claim ignorance. 
and the civil law is part and parcel of our religious experience. Another fascinating aspect of the way the Torah presents the law in our Parsha is in its literary style and intended audience. We would expect a law section to be neutral. For example, it is forbidden to do such and such. Do not do this. Or we might think it would be constructed as a manual to the victims so that they would know their rights. But it doesn't. Instead, as Dr. Zornberg explains, it addresses someone else. Based on the Psukim in the Pasuk in Parakav Dalet, Pasuk Gimel. Vayavo Moshe vayisaper la'am es kol devrei Hashem ve'as kol ha'mishpatim. Moshe comes and tells the nation God's words and all the laws. But that word choice of vayisaper, a sipor is a story. That's a really intriguing word choice. The laws become part of our sipor. Each law in this parsha is constructed as a narrative. The Torah is bringing us inside the story. But why? Who's the address for this information? In all of these texts, who's being spoken to? Who's the audience? The Torah is speaking to the average person, the unnamed you. That's us, the abuser who is in us. We know all about ourselves that on some level we're capable of doing bad things. But choose not to, the Torah is saying. All readers of the Torah are the audience. The Torah is connecting us to the potential for destruction that we hold inside ourselves. And the Torah is urging us not to act on these impulses. I think that's why the Torah starts this portion with the law of Eved Ivri, Kitikna Eved Ivri. I wonder, how did the nation that was just slaves such a short time ago feel upon hearing these words? Kitikna Eved Ivri. What does that mean exactly? Will we be slaves again? How does this happen? The Torah is speaking to reality. Just because we got the Torah doesn't mean that now the world is perfect. There will be economic hardship. The world will still be dealing with circumstances that we see all around us. The Torah is here to address that reality and guide us through it. Let's focus in on one mitzvah. It is the most taught mitzvah in the Torah. More than Shabbos, or loving God, or kosher, is the mitzvah of how to treat a ger. As the Gemara tells us, this is taught 36 times. <laughs> in our parsha alone, it is repeated twice. First, in Parachaf Beis, Pasachaf, the Torah says, lo lo The ger, you are not allowed to oppre- hurt him or oppress him because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Rashi tells us each phrase has something different to teach us. Lo soneh refers to onas devarim, harming with words. Applies to harming with money. And then on that last phrase that seems to be giving a rationale for why we should behave in this way, Rashi says something unexpected. Rashi says, Rashi says, If you vex him, he will vex you back. And he will say, You're also a ger. You come from gerim. And a blemish that you have, you should not mention to your friend. Rashi here seems to be taking the position that the motivation for behaving well is to avoid pain for yourself, stopping the revenge that will be thrown against you. But then we have another verse in the next parak, in parak of Gimel Pasuk Tes, which at first sounds like the same thing. 
What's the purpose of this variation in motivation? Is there a difference? Is this added phrase, adding anything? For Rashi, it does. He explains, What does it mean to know the nefesh of the ger? It means you know how hard it is. You know how it feels inside your own body, what it is to feel strange. When we suffer trauma, it stays deep within us. We become the walking wounded. We, the post-Holocaust generation, can only begin to imagine what the trauma of experiencing Mitzrayim felt like. That trauma has become part of who we are as a nation. Rashi, then, is giving us two motivations for this command of how to treat the ger. One may be to avoid revenge, but the other is an appeal to our historical national memory. And we need both, because not everyone, sadly, is moved by being a good person. Sometimes people who suffer abuse turn around and abuse others. And I think the fascinating word that grips us in this Pasuk is the word lachatz, lotilchatz. When was the last time we saw this shoresh? Back in Paragimel. Vata hine tsa'akas b'nei Yisrael ba'ilai v'gamra isi es halachatz asher mitzrayim lochatzimosam. God said, back in Egypt, I heard your cries because I saw the terrible oppression that the Egyptians oppressed you with. It's exactly the same word. That verbal association takes us right back. Place yourself in that position and use those feelings to stop yourself from abusing someone who's vulnerable. Ibn Ezra adds one line that is so powerful. It's not just about you yourself being an abuser, but if you witness abuse, you need to put a stop to it. And if you don't, then you are also an oppressor. The idea of being an innocent bystander just does not exist. As Nacham Leibowitz writes, for this reason, we have the double motivation in our sedra and the two different explanations in Rashi to the two passages respectively. Some will be sufficiently moved by the memory of their experience of oppression at the hands of others to put themselves in the stranger's shoes. On the other hand, those not prompted by their own experience of similar suffering to act kindly toward the stranger in their midst will at least be influenced by the argument of the victim of their oppression. If you wrong him, he will wrong you back. I would like to conclude with a quote from Rabbi Sachs. It is no coincidence that Judaism was born in two journeys away from the two greatest civilizations of the ancient world, Abraham's from Mesopotamia, Moses and the Israelites from Pharaonic Egypt. The Torah is the world's great protest against empires and imperialism. There are many dimensions to this protest. One dimension is the protest against the attempt to justify social hierarchy and the absolute power of rulers in the name of religion. Another is the subordination of the masses to the state, epitomized by the vast building projects, first of Babel, then of Egypt, and the enslavement they entailed. A third is the brutality of nations in the course of war. Undoubtedly, though, the most serious offense for the prophets, as well as the Mosaic books, was the use of power against the powerless, the widow, the orphan, and above all, the stranger. To be a Jew is to be a stranger. The Torah asks, why should you not hate the stranger? Because you once stood where he stands now. You know the heart of the stranger because you were once a stranger in the land of Egypt. If you are human, so is he. If he is less than human, so are you. You must fight the hatred in your heart as I once fought the greatest ruler and the strongest empire in the ancient world on your behalf. I made you into the world's archetypal strangers so that you would fight for the rights of strangers, for your own and those of others, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever the color of their skin or the nature of their culture. 
because though they are not in your image, says God, they are nonetheless in mine. There is only one reply strong enough to answer the question, why should I not hate the stranger? Because the stranger is me. Thank you for learning together with the OU Women's Initiative.